Book Four, Chapters Twenty Five to Twenty Seven of Amadis of Gaul. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. Amadis of Gaul by Vasco de Lobera. Translated by Robert Southey. Book Four, Chapter Twenty Five. How the Emperor of Rome arrived with his fleet at Great Britain, and what he and King Lesuarte did. The history saith that Giantes, after he left Grasandor, proceeded to Rome, and by his diligence and that of the Emperor, the fleet was soon equipped, and the ten thousand knights embarked, and they set sail, and arrived safely in the haven near Windsor. When King Lisuarte heard of his arrival, he rode with the kings Kildadan and Gasquilan, and many other good men, to receive him, and they embraced each other with great joy. King, said the emperor, if you have received any wrong or grievance for my sake, I am here to satisfy your honour with double victory, and as I alone have been the cause of this, I would you would allow that I alone might take vengeance, that the punishment which I inflict may be an example to all, that none may dare offend a man so powerful as I. The king answered, My good lord and friend, you and your people are now weary of your voyage. Let them recover from their fatigue. In the meanwhile we shall learn tidings of our enemies, and when that is known you shall take what counsel pleaseth you. The emperor would have marched on without delay, but Lisuarte, who better knew what was necessary, detained him, for he was well aware that on this battle everything depended. So they remained eight days in the camp, receiving the forces who every day came in. One day, as the emperor and the kings and many knights in their company were riding in the fields near the camp, they saw a knight approach, and a squire with him, carrying his arms. If anyone asks who this knight was, I answer that he was the good King Enil, the nephew of Don Gandales. When he came to the camp, he asked if Arquisil were there, who was kinsman to the emperor. He was answered yes, and that he was then riding with the emperor. Enil then rode up to the company, who were now halting by a brookside and talking about the battle. He humbly saluted them, and they on their part bade him welcome, and asked what he would have. Enil answered, "'Sirs, I come from the firm island, with the bidding of my lord the noble knight Amadis of Gaul, son of King Perion, to a knight called Arquisil.' Arquisil answered, "'I am he whom you seek.' Then said Enil, "'Arquisil, Amadis of Gaul sends to say that when he was at the court of King Tafenor of Bohemia, calling himself the Knight of the Green Sword, on the day after his battle with Don Garadan, he entered into the lists with you and your companions, and you were made his prisoner, and by him set at liberty on your promise as a true knight that you would return and put yourself into his power whenever he required it. He now by me calls upon you to fulfil your word, as so good a man and of so high a lineage ought certes knight answered arquisil what you say is true it only remains to be assured that he who called himself the knight of the green sword is amadis of gaul certain knights who were present said 
that without doubt it was so. Then Arquisil said to the Emperor, You have heard, sir, what this knight demands. I can no ways excuse myself, but must perform that which I owe. He gave me my life, and prevented the other knights from killing me, who were well inclined to do it. I beseech you, sir, be not displeased at my going, for if I should fail in my promise, you, powerful and great as you are, ought neither to have me in your company nor acknowledge me for your kin. The emperor, with his wonted want of temper, cried out, You knight who come hither on the part of Amadis, tell him he ought to be quite satisfied with offering me those little insults which little man can offer to the great, and that the time is come when I shall show him who I am and what I can do. Tell him that he can nowhere escape me, not even in that den of thieves where he lurks. He shall soon make sevenfold restitution. You, Arquisil, do as you are required. It will not be long before I shall put this man by whom you were taken into your hands, that you may have your will of him. When Enil heard this, he grew angry and fearlessly replied, I ween, sir, Amadis knows what you can do already, for he met you once as an errant knight, not as a great prince, and you did not depart from him quite so easily. But now, as you come in another manner, so in another manner will he meet you. Let them who know the past remember it. God only knows the future. At this King Lisuarte was fearful lest the knight should receive some hurt at the emperor's command, which would greatly have displeased him, as indeed what had been said had done, for it was his manner to be rigorous indeed, but fair in speech. So to prevent more, he took the emperor by the hand and said, Let us go to our tents, for it is time to sup, and let this knight enjoy the freedom which ambassadors used to and ought to possess. The emperor then went away, as much in anger as though what had passed had been with his peer. But Arquisil took Enil to his tent, and showed him much honour, and they rode together like friends to the firm island. When they were near the camp, and Arquisil saw so great a force, for the succours from the Emperor of Constantinople were now arrived, he marvelled greatly, yet gave he no sign of wonder. Enil took him to the tent of Amadis, by whom he was courteously received. There he remained four days, and Amadis showed him the army and all those noble knights, the fame of whose prowess was gone abroad through all the world. Much was he astonished to behold so mighty a power, but in particular to behold so many good knights, for he well knew that if any disaster should befall the emperor, it would be by their means, for of the rest he thought little, and would have felt no fear of them if they had not had such leaders. Well, too, did he perceive that his lord the emperor needed great force to give them battle, and he thought himself an unhappy man to be held prisoner at such a time. For if he had heard afar off that such a battle was to be waged, he would have hastened to bear a part. And now it would be in his sight even, and yet he could not be there. For this he accounted himself the most unfortunate man in the world, and the tears ran down his cheeks and in this great grief he resolved to prove the virtue and nobleness of Amadis. So when the brave Amadis was with many other knights in the tent of King Perion, and Arquisil with them, 
because the place of his prison had not been appointed. He rose up and said to the king, "'May it please you, sir, to hear me before these knights and Amadis of Gaul.' The king said, "'Willingly,' and bade him speak. Then Arquisil related how he had been conquered by Amadis, and on what terms taken to mercy. "'But now,' quoth he, if Amadis will deal towards me with that generosity which he hath ever shown, and permit me in this great battle to serve my lord the emperor, I promise before you and all these knights, if I escape with life, to yield myself up into his hands again. Amadis, who had listened to him standing to show him more honour, replied, Arquisil, my good sir, if I regarded the intolerable arrogance of your emperor, I might justly requite it with cruelty to all his people. But his fault is not yours, and the time is hard at hand when the virtue of each of us shall be put to proof. I give you, therefore, leave to be in the battle, and if you survive it, and are in no danger, come in ten days after to this island. Thankfully did Arquisil acknowledge that noble treatment, and he took his horse and arms and departed and arrived without let or hindrance at the emperor's camp. Now I would have you know that the reason why all these knights performed such long journeys without meeting any adventure was because they heeded nothing but to prepare for the great battle, and would therefore meddle with nothing of less moment that might keep them from it. When Arquisil came to the camp, he spoke with the emperor apart, and told him how Amadis had dealt with him, and what a mighty power was there assembled and the names of all the good knights who were come to his succour. And be assured, said he, that so soon as they know you have moved on, they will advance to meet you. Arrogant as the emperor was, yet when he heard this from so good a knight, and one who he knew would speak nothing but what was true, he was dismayed, as they used to be, whose courage lies more in words than in actions, and he wished he had never been brought into this quarrel. He had expected that Amadis never could have raised a force to oppose him and King Lisuarte, and that they should have blocked him up by sea and by land, so that, either by famine or treaty, he might recover Oriana and vindicate his honour. But thenceforward the hope and confidence which he expressed was more than in truth he felt, and he conformed himself more to the advice of King Lisuarte and his good men. Fifteen days they remained in the camp, mustering their forces, which were found to be as follows. The emperor brought ten thousand horsemen, King Lisuarte six thousand five hundred, Gasquilan, king of Sweden, eight hundred, King Kildadan, two hundred. When all was ready, the army were ordered to march. The emperor divided his host into three divisions. The first, of two thousand five hundred knights, he gave to Floyan, the brother of Salestonquidio. The second, with a like number, to Arquisil. The other five thousand he reserved for his own command, and he requested King Lisuarte to let him be in the van, to which the king assented, though he would far rather have taken that post himself, for he thought little of the Romans, and feared that they might, by their confusion, occasion some great loss. Howbeit, to do the emperor honour, he consented, which, in such a case, was ill done, for then all affection should be laid aside, and nothing but reason consulted. King Lisuarte made two divisions of his force, 
the one of three thousand knights he gave to king arban of north wales and with him he appointed norandel to go and don guian the pensive and sendel of ganote and brandoyas three thousand of his knights he gave to king kildadan and king gasquilan which with their own thousand made another division of the rest he took charge himself his standard he gave to the good don grumedan who with great sorrow and heaviness of heart reflected on that ill exchange which king lisuarte had made to make such men his enemies and choose such for his friends all this being thus ordered the army moved on behind the baggage which went forward that the camp might be pitched chapter twenty six how king perion advanced with his people against his enemies and how he arrayed his army for the battle the history saith that as this king perion was a knight of great courage and one whom fortune had always hitherto assisted to uphold his honour and seeing himself brought into such a contest which affected his sons and all his lineage and knowing likewise the great courage of king lisuarte and what a revenger of injuries wrought to him he was for these things he was always pondering on what it behoved him to provide for he was well aware that if the chance went against him that he would not be satisfied with victory but like a mad dog would hunt them out wherever they should retreat and think nothing of any fatigue or difficulty in pursuing them even as he himself should do if he were the conqueror he therefore among other needful things was careful to have trusty persons in those parts where they could observe the movements of the enemy and by them he was now advised how and in what order they were on their march so on the morrow betimes he rose and summoned all the chiefs and the knights of his lineage and told them what he knew and how he thought they should raise their camp and divide their army that every man might know what standard and what leader he was to follow and that having so done they should march to meet the enemy and give them battle in full confidence that they should be victorious in so just a cause to this they all accorded and earnestly they besought that both because of his high rank and of his great courage and discretion he would take the charge of leading and directing them all promising to obey his orders this he accepted well knowing that what they proposed was right and that which he could not reasonably decline then he ordered the council to be carried into effect the camp was raised and the forces all armed and mounted assembled in that wide plain this good king rode in the midst of them on a goodly horse and armed with rich arms three squires were with him and ten pages all on horseback and all bearing one device whose appointment was to ride about the field of battle and give their horses to such knights as should be in need of them he was now at that age that the most part of his hair and beard was grey his countenance was somewhat flushed with the heat of his armour and somewhat by the thoughts of his heart all knew his courage and the sight of him gave courage to all so that they lost all fear and made no doubt but that under god such a leader would assuredly give them the victory he looked at don quadragante and said brave knight i entrust the van to you with my son amadis and angriotte of estravaus and don gavarte of the perilous vale and enil and balais of Carsante, and london with the five hundred knights of ireland and fifteen hundred of my people 
you, my good nephew Agrayes, shall lead the second division, with Don Bruneo of Bonamar and his brother Branfil, and their troops and your own, in all sixteen hundred knights. You, honourable knight Grasandor, shall take the third division, and thou, my son Florestan, with him, and Don Dragonis, and Laradin of Fajarque, and Elian the Bold, and Trion with the people of Queen Briolania, who, with the forces of King Tafenor, will make a company of sixteen hundred knights. Then he turned to Don Brian of Monjaste. You, my good nephew, shall have the fourth, with your own people, and with three thousand of the Greeks, so that you shall be five thousand in all, and with you Mankian of the Silver Bridge, and Sadamon and Olandin. He appointed Don Gandales with a thousand to carry succour where it should be most needed. He himself took to his charge Gastilus and the remainder of the forces which the Emperor of Constantinople had sent, and he bade all the army look to the Emperor's standard, and regard it as though he himself were there in person. All being thus appointed, the army moved on with the sound of many trumpets and other instruments of war. Oriana and the queen and princesses and dames and damsels of her company beheld them, and in their hearts besought God to help, or rather, if it were his good pleasure, to give them peace. CHAPTER Twenty Seven. How, when Archelaus the Enchanter knew that all these forces were collected for battle, he in all haste called upon King Aravigo and his companions. Now Archelaus the Enchanter had, as you have heard, stirred up King Aravigo and Barsinan, lord of Sansuena, and the king of the Deep Island, who had escaped from the battle of the Seven Kings and all the lineage of Dardan the Proud, and when he knew that Amadis and King Lisuarte had collected their forces, he dispatched a knight called Garin, who was the son of Grumen, one of the enchanter's kinsmen, whom Amadis slew when he rescued Oriana. Him he bade rest neither day nor night till he had borne the intelligence to all those chiefs. Meantime he himself assembled the kinsmen of Dardan and all his own forces. This Garin came to King Aravigo, whom he found in Aravega, the chief city of all his realm, from which all the kings thereof were called Aravigos, because great part of their dominions lay in the land of Arabia. The king at this news, without delay, assembled all his forces, and they pitched their tents in the plains near Calafan, which was a principal town in Sansuena. Twelve thousand knights were they in number. There they prepared their fleet, and stored it with food in abundance, as men who were going against a strange land, and from thence they put to sea, and with a fair wind in eight days they arrived at a port in Great Britain, where Archelaus had a strong castle. Archelaus had with him six thousand good knights, who all hated King Lisuarte and Amadis, for having hunted down and slain many of their chiefs, and put them to flight themselves, like evil-doers as they were. I cannot tell you the joy there was at this meeting. So, as Archelaus had learned from his spies that the king and Amadis were advancing to meet each other, he set forth without delay. Barsinan led the van. He was a young knight and strong, eager to revenge the deaths of his father and of his brother Gandalot, and to show his own prowess. He had under him archers and crossbowmen and two thousand knights, 
Archelaus, who, as you may well believe, was not inferior to him in great strength and courage, led the second division. Though half his right hand was lopped off, yet could there hardly be found a better knight in arms, if his ill deeds had not taken away all the renown which his hardihood gained. He led on six hundred knights, and two thousand four hundred whom King Aravigo gave him. King Aravigo himself, and that other king of the deep island, led the third detachment with all the other forces, and they had with them six knights all akin to Brontaxar Danfania, whom Amadis slew in the battle of the seven kings, as is recorded in the third book of this history. These six knights came from the Sagittary island, where it is said the Sagittaries at first made their habitation, and they were huge in body, and strong, like those who were descended in a right line from the hugest and most valiant giants that were ever in this world. These knights, when they heard of such great preparations, came by their own good will to revenge the death of that Brontaxar, who was the chief of all their lineage, and also to prove themselves against those knights of whom such renown was gone abroad. For these causes they came to King Aravigo, who greatly rejoiced at their coming, and besought them to go in his division, the which they promised, though against their will, for it was their wish to have been in the front of the battle. At this time the Duke of Bristol arrived. He, though he had been required by Archelaus, would not at first engage, thinking what he said was rash and ill-advised. But when he saw so great a power assembled, he then thought it his wisest cause to join them, that he might revenge the death of his father, whom Don Galvanes and Agrayas and Olivas slew, and also that he might recover the lands which had been forfeited by his father's death. He had conceived that if Lisuarte was put to the worst, he should regain his inheritance, but if Amadis was defeated, then should he be revenged upon those who had so injured him. When King Aravigo and the other chiefs knew who he was, they were more joyful of his coming, because he was a native of the land and had towns and castles therein, than they would have been if a foreigner had joined them with a greater force. King Aravigo gave him five hundred knights in addition to his own force, and in this array they set forward, marching by byways that they might be the more secure. End of Book 4 Chapter 27